Hello, welcome back to Camp Half Pod. We are your head counselors. I'm Erin, daughter of Athena. And I'm Monsa, daughter of Persephone. This week we're talking about Mark of Athena, chapters 17 through 24. So, um, I was complaining to Aaron earlier that this um, this episode is going to be me because I'm doing Annabeth's chapters and Annabeth's <laughs> just... Basically, we get the entire plot of the book via mm-hmm. Annabeth and then Leo gets some bonding time with Hazel. That's like a big summary I'm going to give you. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much... I feel like you really got the... You really had a lot going. Like last episode, we were like, "This, these are big chapters, so we're just gonna spend like the whole episode just doing Percy." And then this one, we're like, "These are also big chapters, but we've decided to just consume all of them at once <laughs> and do eight chapters." <laughs> oh, I feel like with Percy's, it's a lot about feelings. This one, yeah, yeah. we have a lot of feelings, but it's all internal, and it's um, mm-hmm. just a lot of information. We're just building up that quest that we need to get to that honestly it's really nice to read slowly because I read this book so fast I kind of mm. blurred in my head that by the time I got to the end I was like okay so what is the mark of Athena <laughs> <laughs> so now maybe you'll know now answer. I'll know because I have to like write it down and like read it slowly and like actually digest yeah. the information it's honestly great. Maybe I should do book reports on every book I read. And that's how I can just actually remember what I'm reading <laughs> instead of just skim and read dialogue. <laughs> if someone asks me, like, what did you think of the book? I can just like, you know, go to my little filing cabinet and pull out my book report mm-hmm. and be like, here you go. There's like the analysis section at the back. Ah, uh, this is Sparknotes. <laughs> I think we're inventing Sparknotes right now. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but like funnier. Sparknotes mm-hmm. is very funny on the on Twitter, I will say. So, but their um, competition, their analysis <laughs> tends to be a lot more serious because people use it for school. Our analysis is going to be batshit crazy because we use it for entertainment. Exactly, mm-hmm. that's the way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I mean, so let's dive in so that way we can talk about everything that we need to talk about. So, yes. Annabeth, chapter seventeen through twenty. We start up chapter 17. Annabeth is hanging out with a bummed out Hazel when Frank bursts onto the ship and demands that they take off immediately. They're being followed and everyone needs to move now. Frank isn't making really any sense about what happened. He's talking about a Porky and a Kate and all of that stuff. But Annabeth tells Leo to get them going and they head into the sky over the Atlanta skyline. Percy, who was a bit dizzy and why he didn't back up Frank in explaining what happened, finally gets steady enough to tell them that they need to head to Charleston and tells them of their weird adventure. Annabeth is correctly worried about their new bounty on their heads. She's like, we had so many monsters who just wanted to kill us for fun, and now we have, like, a bounty with our, essentially our faces and our description out there. So all the past monsters were just, like, hunting for free. Yes, I know. They're like, oh my god, I could have been getting paid. Yeah. And now the concept of the Mark of Athena is out in the open, and everyone has questions about it. Annabeth asks Jason why he reacted oddly when Percy mentioned Charleston, and Jason recounts a quest that he, Rana, did a couple years ago looking for imperial gold on an old Civil War submarine. 
And this is where we learn that I was right last episode. The Romans were the Confederates. And Jason has to, like, quickly scramble because Hazel calls him out. She's like, oh, so you're telling me Romans are pro-slavery? I'm like, you knew that, babe. Like, that's the whole (laughs) point of the Romans. But Jason is scrambling really quick and is, like, he's trying to distance his white ass from them. He's like, well, not all Romans, Hazel. Oh, no. (laughs) And he tries to do it well, but he doesn't. He tries to do it well by also including, like, you know, we – as demigods need to do better <laughs> and like um you know maybe we should think about things before we speak kind of alluding to his previous awkward conversation where he and Leo are basically like fuck Nico like yeah. <laughs> leave him behind let him die <laughs> Hazel's like Jason I'm adding you to my shit list right yeah. now <laughs> like you've gotten to the bottom like Hazel used to think Jason was like at the tippy top of the coolest people she yeah. knew yeah now she's like, oh, you suck, my dude. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I don't think Jason has a great grasp of, like, race and culture. Whereas, like, Percy no. grew up in New York City and, like, in my head is also a person of color. But we can talk about that later. And um, <laughs> Jason grew up with wolves, so he doesn't know any <laughs> He just knows that there's different packs. I don't yeah. know, man. He's like, I have a wolf. This is a wolf, and this is not a wolf. That's how he distinguishes things. <laughs> and sometimes he forgets that he himself is not also a wolf. I know, when it's he's howling at the, the moon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but because of this, Jason is in his past quest. Jason is able to suggest two places that they can go to look for the map. The Civil War Museum and a park next to the harbor called Battery. The first team that's going to go to the museum is Leo, Jason, and Frank. Battery is like a park that has been haunted by a girl boss ghost Mm. who only likes women and only talked to Raina last time and she was really shaken up by it. So Jason has no idea what the ghost even said to her. Annabeth deduces that this means that the other team will be a girl's team, so Piper, Hazel, and Annabeth, leaving Percy alone on the ship with the goat. But honestly, it might be a good idea to let the man rest in like peace for a moment. Spoiler alert, he does not rest. Surprisingly. Surprisingly. (laughs) Leo tells the group that Festus has detected Roman eagles following behind them, and they kind of lean into this decoy idea he throws out um, to get them off their tails. He calls his automated table named Buford. I'm like, okay, that's a name. Which can uh, fly like a helicopter, and so he packs some dirty laundry with it to get the eagles off their scent. Like, do eagles smell? Like, they obviously... Do they smell? I thought they use, like, all vision, Right. Because eagle eye, right? That's the whole point. Is that you can yeah, like, you oh, yes. see. The so vision's it, great. They got good hearing. I don't yeah. know about smell. They don't have Hold noses. On. I'm consulting the oracle. Uh-huh. Okay, <laughs> Google. Our Bald age, eagles have no sense of smell, but they can taste. That's hilarious. This is a stupid idea, Leo. <laughs> so... That's fascinating. I didn't know they had no sense of smell. They didn't. Well, where their noses? <laughs> where would they smell from? Their mouth their is a beak. But this, that's their mouth. Know. Yeah. Yeah, but it says they have a strong sense of taste. So maybe they like lick the air, <laughs> and they're like mm, dirty laundry. <laughs> maybe when they screech, they just actually like are smelling. I mean, tasting the air. To- we found the plot hole to unravel this whole book. Yeah, that's it. That's the, <laughs> that's the plot hole. Anyway, Annabeth is in her bunk playing around with Daedalus's computer when she recalls to the readers her interaction with her mother that left her so shaken, she mentioned to Percy in the last chapters. 
Annabeth was on the subway after visiting Sally Jackson to bond over missing Percy. Annabeth at this point knows Percy's alive and is being used by Hera, but is unable to pinpoint the Roman camp's exact location. So she's in this point where she is so close, but is, can't reach him and she's feeling a bit crazy and exhausted and her nerves are frayed. She's walking through Grand Central when she sees in the corner Athena studying a map. This is crazy, first of all, because it's a god. And because also the gods have been MIA for a while. Athena doesn't really recognize Annabeth and is also very confused herself. She gives off like grandma with dementia, lost in a supermarket vibes. She says she used to be Athena, but then they destroyed her city and turned her into this, which she points to her clothes. Man, let's like change your clothes then. I don't know what the problem is. This is Minerva, and Minerva says that her children will avenge her and destroy the Romans who have made her into the sad version of a goddess. She gives Annabeth an old subway token and tells her to avenge her and follow the mark of Athena. Annabeth tries to reason with her. She's like, we cannot just kill Romans and just like start a war. You are the goddess of war. You should know this. And wisdom. Like, two things. But Minerva is inconsolable and angry, calling Annabeth a failure for not understanding and telling her she hopes Percy dies and essentially disowns her for not wanting the same kind of revenge. I'm like, wow, it's incredible. Annabeth motherhood. Has, motherhood. Annabeth has tried to get rid of the token, but it re- reappears in her pocket and gives her nightmares instead. Also, her Yankees cap has lost its magic, so that's cool too. Like, she's just having a great time. The girl who has had abandonment and parental issues her whole life, like, clearly yep. is not taking a psychological toll on her. Anyway, Frank walks into Annabeth's cabin and asks help for figure out, figuring out the Chinese finger trap. So earlier he had tried, he put his fingers in and hadn't been able to take it out. Leo had kind of teased him about it and they all had a good laugh. And instead of like asking Leo how to do it, he just turned into a iguana to escape. <laughs> Mood. <laughs> Frank doesn't like being in the dark. He also doesn't feel comfortable admitting to anyone else that he needs help figuring it out. Annabeth is really touched that he trusts her enough to know that she won't laugh at him. And they sit together as Annabeth teaches Frank how to figure it out. They bond over loving Percy. And Frank asks if soon um, Annabeth can help him figure out a way to protect his Achilles heel. Annabeth is honored, but they don't go into detail about it because then the dinner bell rings. So she knows that he has an Achilles heel and he needs some way to protect himself from it. Percy and Hazel know about it, but that's all she really knows about it. So then we go into chapter 18. They arrive in Charleston and by the time Annabeth wakes up, the boys are already at the museum. Percy says he's going to be in the harbor trying to talk to local sea creatures to see what's going on. The girls are feeling the weight of their quest and the deadline. Plus, Annabeth is having some white guilt over liking Southern architecture. She's like, it's so beautiful, but the history. And I was just like, okay. And she also has like, this is, these are the chapters where she gets into a lot of her like, um, I had to work twice as hard as the rest of them because oh, I no. have blonde hair. And I was like, Okay. <laughs> Something Maybe. that will uh, be be a different narrative in the show. <laughs> Wait, yeah, thank God. I mean, to be fair, yeah. she did have to work harder, like, to fight, you know, the, the sexism. But I wouldn't say twice as hard. I would say, like, a no. 0.3% more. Mm-hmm. Not, mm-hmm. Per, sorry, 33% more. Not 
you know, a hundred and whatever, 50% more. It's like, it's a very big difference. It is more than like the average white man. But anyway, I I digress. She should have just worn glasses so people would know she's a smart blonde girl. That's true. That's how you do it. Like that's... (laughs) Then she could have had a moment in like the last couple Percy Jackson books where she takes her glasses off. And she's like, wow, you're a woman? I didn't even notice. Not with all those glasses on. (laughs) Glasses actually mask your womanhood. I know. It's it's actually really powerful in some ways. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but this is the part that a lot of angry people took when they learned that the casting of Annabeth is a black girl and were like, actually, she has to be blonde because she faces discrimination for it. And it's like, okay. I think we can translate. (laughs) I think we will find a way if we really dig deep to translate that to make it applicable. Yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. I think I agree. I, think so. I agree. How I don't yeah. know, but we will see. I mean, it might be right in front of us. Yeah, it's <laughs> that's one of the things that it's like you know maybe think before you tweet about that. You know, know. what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, <clears throat> they see the ghost lady who is glowing way too bright to be any normal spirit, and they follow her as she floats around. Piper is really annoyed by her immediately and Annabeth doesn't really understand until they see her and she appears in front of them and it's Aphrodite she's beautiful and immediately makes uh, Annabeth feel jealous of her good looks like she's not good enough except for Piper who seems just like she's annoyed that her mom has showed up on her quest (laughs) she invites the girls to have tea and chat Tea is this beautiful setup with a great spread, and Aphrodite and Venus are the same because the goddess of love and beauty didn't really have to change her personality as the other gods had to. So she's probably the most um, coherent person that they've talked Uh to, (laughs) which is the bar is low. Uh-huh. She brings up how she had promised to make Annabeth's love life interesting. And Annabeth almost kills her on the spot. She's like, first of all, I had a crush on Luke, who only saw me as a sister. And then he became an evil person. And then I liked Percy. Percy's the dumbest man alive. And then there was the whole Rachel thing. And then I got him. And now he got kidnapped. She's like, I will bite you right now. <laughs> Anyway, Aphrodite continues to romanticize the Civil War and outs Annabeth's fight Yikes. with Minerva, I know, with Minerva to the girls. Annabeth asks if her mark of Athena would lead to this, the statue, and Aphrodite confirms this, also explaining that most Civil Wars are actually started by Athena's children, looking for revenge against the Romans. I'm like, I don't think that was the case. Um, yeah. I understand what Rick is trying to say, mm-hmm. but when he does this, when he just tries to be like, war was started because of demigods he's not really thinking what we've learned about the wars and like the like with world war one world war two he was just like this is how it was so we just you know fix it up i'm like it's not like how it used to be where like if you look back in like greek and roman history it's like oh they're fighting over land disputes they're fighting for honor it's like "Hmm, it's a bit complicated these days yeah, they're fighting for like civil rights. No. <laughs> not not just like Minerva's being a revenge. Child of Athena. Yeah. Yeah. Minerva's revenge. <laughs> the statue wants to be found and it's spiritually connected to Athena's children, so Annabeth will be given clues all the way until she finds the statue, but only the most worthy can find it. Also, at the end of the trail, Annabeth will face every Athena child's worst fear. And then Annabeth, if she succeeds 
through that has to make a choice about if she wants to use her war to start a war or to create peace. And I was like, it's an, that always makes me laugh. So it's like, will they choose darkness or the light? And I'm like, I don't know. Make your pitch. Let's see who has the better story right now. <laughs> Aphrodite says the map is in the fort, but the Roman eagles have found them, so they have to move. The okay. map is giving me the vibes of like the map in Dora the Explorer right now. <laughs> With singing and just has like yeah, an X. That's yeah. what I'm imagining. Like that she just has to get a map to tell her where to go. Yeah. And, like, and back, it sings back, her back, song. Back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm the map. I'm the map. <laughs> <laughs> so chapter 19, unfortunately, they're cut off by the Romans, specifically Octavian and two other beefy Romans. Annabeth knows they are outnumbered and needs a way to signal Percy. She takes her knife out like she's going to surrender and then just kind of tosses it into the harbor. Octavian thinks that she's just stupid because she's blonde, remember? And is is ordering a proper surrender of Hazel and Piper when the entire harbor explodes and knocks over the Romans and drags them into the water. Percy appears on the dock holding Annabeth's dagger and says, You dropped this, which is amazing. Iconic. Percy Percy takes the girls back to the boat while the Romans are being held into the water. And he's like, I'll release them once we get a clean getaway. But, you know, until then they can float for a while. Percy gets the boat to float Fort Sumter. Sumter? Sumter? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Percy gets the boat to Fort Sumter while Piper Iris messages Jason to meet them as more Roman eagles circle overhead. Another giant eagle flies towards them, but it's actually Frank carrying Leo and Jason flies next to them. Unfortunately, they collide with Roman chariot and fall. Annabeth tells Percy and the girls to guard the ship. It's like, no matter what, do not let the Romans overtake the ship. She's going to go into the fort, get the map, get the boys, and come back, all while fighting off the Romans. An average quest, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Chapter 20. Annabeth runs through the fort watching Jason and Leo and Frank fight off the soldiers. It's quite funny to watch Jason go through because he knows everyone by name, so he's apologizing. He's like, Dakota, I'm sorry, (laughs) as he punches them out. The fort is packed with tourists, which is actually slowing the Romans down. Annabeth looks around, trying to put herself in the mind of the person who hid the map. At that moment, the walls begin to bubble and thousands of tiny black spiders pour out of the bubbles. Annabeth has a flashback to her stepmother, not believing her when she was seven as thousands of spiders haunted her every night for three nights. They would bite her. They would make cobwebs. She's covered in bites every morning. The bites would disappear when she'd get dressed. And um, cobwebs, her stepmother was convinced, was just like a trick she was doing to get attention. Her stepmother continued not believing her, not letting her call her father until Annabeth finally had to run away from home. Gaia's voice haunts her head, saying that she will meet the weaver soon, and that while she hopes Annabeth will be the girl for the sacrifice, I hope it's you, girl. She's like, I like you the best. I have to let the weaver, I have to let my employees, you know, get their benefits, which is the weaver taking her revenge. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, a huge symbol of an owl burns into the wall, incinerating all the spiders, and Minerva's voice tells Annabeth to go follow the mark of Athena and avenge her. Just like the only thing this woman knows how to say. Annabeth sees outside the window that the Argo 2 is surrounded as a storm fights off Roman soldiers and she runs to the motor and pulls out a bronze disc and turns to run away. That's when she turns to face our girl Reyna. She tries to explain herself to Reyna who won't have it and sets her dog on Annabeth. 
Raina low-key understands that Annabeth and her crew are probably not at fault, but she's outnumbered and Octavian has everyone listening to him. She hints to Annabeth that if they do go to Rome, the Romans won't follow, but they'll instead turn their fury onto Camp Half-Blood blood instead. Annabeth feels that the only way to fix all of this is to get the Mark of Athena and use the powers to unite the camp. Raina and Annabeth notice that Percy and Jack, uh, J- Percy and Jackson, <laughs> <laughs> Annabeth and uh, Raina and Annabeth notice that Percy and Jason are working together to create an amazing storm and are protecting the ship. Raina's bitter and tired, but she lets Annabeth go. Annabeth runs back to the ship and they all fly off, leaving the Romans behind and heading to Rome. Ooh. All right, I have a couple of notes. I wanted to get through all of that because I I had a feeling I was going to digress too much. Um, (laughs) The Chinese finger trap little plot is the first time we see the entire squad all hanging out and laughing together because Rick loves like Mm one-on-ones only, which I was like, it's very opposite of of when we were in middle school. Or like, (laughs) I remember being, I mean, this was a lot younger than how they are supposed to be in the book. But I remember being younger and being like, it's not about having deep, meaningful connections. It's about having numbers. And that's more important. Mm-hmm. Like if you're in, if you have like six people you're hanging out with, it's but you like hate three of them, it's better than just one-on-one. Like, what are you going to do? And then becoming an adult is being like, I have to hang out with another person besides my friend. I know. I'm like, I don't have, I can't, I can't remember that many names anymore. Like, <laughs> like, but how are we supposed to have our conversations and our deep discussions if there's more than six people at the table? Exactly. Yeah. Then you have to talk about work and <laughs> like your interests. And also like, we're a bit insane. I don't want to have to explain myself every single time. Same. <laughs> Also, something that uh, we find out as Annabeth is kind of watching Percy is that Percy and Annabeth have both outgrown their gray streak in their hair, which is like she's really sad about it. And she gets this kind of like nervousness that it's symbolic. It was like their symbolic bond and it's gone now, which could not have helped because she lost it in the summer, like the times that he was missing. So I like for sure have believed that was a sign that, um, you know, my boyfriend had died. I'm like, somehow my hair knows before I do. I was going to say, they need they need another trauma bond. <laughs> <laughs> huh, I wonder how that'll happen. <laughs> I really loved it because that is such a symbol of their the trauma that they developed and who they were when they were, what, like 13, 14. Mm-hmm. And as like important as it was connecting them, they now have, they don't need it anymore. They have their own relationship. Yeah. So when Gaia throws them down, they, um, and they do get their second version of trauma bonding, it feels <laughs> not unnecessary. So it hurts more, you know? Yeah. yeah. No, it's a mark that their relationship is changing in a good way. In a good way. She doesn't know that yet. Yeah, she doesn't really know that yet because she hasn't really been alone with her boyfriend in a long time. Besides, like, maybe, like, the six hours they maybe were awake in the stables, but... um, Mm -hmm. Wow, six hours. That is actually a long time. Probably an hour at most. They sounded tired. Yeah. Um... Aphrodite talking about making a love life interesting reminded me of like myself. Remember when I used to read palms? Oh my um, gosh, yes. <laughs> so I like know how to read very basic palms, but that's like 
like my mom and like my the women in my family know very basic like you just look look at your palm they could be spouting absolute nonsense i don't know but there's like <laughs> three lines that i know what they mean and so i really capitalized this being one of the few brown people <laughs> in my school but um i used to tell people i was like your love life is really uninteresting it looks like you just like find the love of your life and they stay in your life and then I was like, whereas my love life is interesting, clearly either the love of my life divorces me or they die. <laughs> so it's interesting. And now I'm an adult. I'm like, I don't need any more interest in my life in the same way that Annabeth reacted to the word interesting. I feel that in my core. I have such a distinct memory of one time you were reading one of our friend's poems and you were like telling her something about her love life and I had remembered that earlier we like without her there had been talking about how like she needed to do something like she needed to tell someone something and you were basically telling her what we thought she needed to do and I remember just being like she's bullshitting isn't she (laughs) she's just telling her this to get her to like talk to the guy (laughs) i was sick of hearing about it and i was like the only way this girl is gonna listen to me is to the power of psychic powers so then i'm gonna use what i've got (laughs) incredible um okay so i really am forever irritated that the girls like hazel's the only one with a sword like annabeth has a moment where she's like we can't fight like maybe if it was just octavian we could have fought him off but we can't fight two other romans even though they're evenly matched it's three via three and like the girls are really strong they just for some reason insist on giving annabeth and hazel i'm not hazel um piper knives i'm like what daggers well what are you gonna do with that you can't throw it i mean annabeth throws it but i'm like the girls should get swords or bows and arrows or like a fucking flamethrower like i really would like that (laughs) Give Piper a flamethrower. <laughs> <laughs> Please. It would make it so much easier and interesting. Like, oh, she can't, like, charm you with her charm speak? Oh, good thing she has a flamethrower. She can light you on fire. <laughs> <laughs> good luck listening now. <laughs> um, uh, The last thing, this is a bit of a longer spiel, is we had right. um, a listener email us a while back the beginning of April, their thoughts about um, Annabeth's stepmom. And I had forgotten this scene in the book. And so our listener, her name is Amanda, and she just did a really interesting and wonderful analysis of like, okay, you know, now that we're older and like we're adults and as from an adult point of view and like, you know, a parent point of view, we can talk about, Maybe, like, Annabeth's stepmother is not as evil as we think, even from the beginning. It's the idea of, like, okay, so she's waking up three nights in a row screaming. Her dad's not around. Um, She's, like, this child who she doesn't really understand. And we don't know how much she understands that Annabeth is a child of Athena. We don't know what, like, how much she knows about monsters and Annabeth's godly life. That just like this child is screaming and causing a lot of ruckus and is not understanding. She can't calm her down. Only her dad can calm her down. But that dad is not showing up. He's just like not coming home from work. She also just gave birth to twin boys. Yeah. So she's got like these infant boys and this scary, smart seven-year-old who's just like also hates her. 
I have a, mm-hmm. she's just trying to control the situation and yeah she could have done it much better and she could have you know believed her but she's also seeing no evidence of belief besides I mean the the cobwebs are like uh, like you think a seven year old is like making like how evil do you think the seven year old is to create webbing <laughs> yeah. it's a little bit like that's like I where I would give her points of being like maybe not a great parental figure but mm-hmm. I really feel like this sits a lot on Annabeth's dad. Like, he could have warned his new wife a little bit more. He obviously knows, you know, the stories of Athena, and he understands, like, he's a smart dude. That's why Athena was attracted to him. In a true, like, I don't know, Athena quarter baby daddy fashion, you'd assume (laughs) he would have done all the research he could when suddenly a seven, like a a baby is dropped at his at his door and is like, okay, so these are the enemies. These of what they say Athena's children have to face and are constantly plagued with. Write it on a whiteboard somewhere. Explain yeah. that to his new wife who just had a baby. Maybe is going through some postpartum shit that like is really difficult. And then maybe not leave them all together and not yeah. communicate. Just like just drop communication. Yeah, I definitely like feel for especially if Annabeth's mom is or stepmom is in the dark about her being a child of Athena, then I like extra feel for her because she probably just thinks this kid's like a serial liar or something. Yeah. And I liked this interpretation a lot because if you remember in the Titan, uh, the Titan's Curse, Curse of the Titan, Mm -hmm. whichever one. Titan's Curse. Thank you. I always do. Titan's Curse. Um. Annabeth is understanding finally where she was like I my feelings of my grudge and my resentment and my like feeling unloved and neglected are valid but Mm it's also valid that maybe my stepmom is a good person and like was trying her best both Mm -hmm. can be true and it could also be true that her dad was not good at being a parent but now maybe be trying to be better all of that can be true in one space and it's very cool. You see her starting to believe it, but it's really draining a lot of her energy to try to comprehend that. And I don't know. I think it was really great for a children's book to kind of bring us back mm-hmm. to that moment and especially her to be able to tell Percy that information and let us know that that's what she's feeling. Yeah, it definitely like humanizes the caregivers, which I think is a good thing to have in kids books because no parent or caregiver is gonna be like always do the right thing but obviously there are some that are like abusive and awful and that should not be normalized no or may like you shouldn't be sympathizing with those people but well i like the series so much is because of the diversity in caregivers you have sally jackson Mm -hmm. who does the best job right she does her best and she does a really good job and it shows you have Leo's mom and, like, all these other moms who are dead, which is typical, yeah. <laughs> like, if you don't want to talk about the parent, you kind of and add some trauma to the children, you kill the parent. Yes. You mm-hmm. have, like, Annabeth's family, which is a bit messy, a bit broken, and they are now trying better to be better. And so, and, like, yeah. adjust to a lifestyle that they didn't understand. So that's really cool. And then you have, like, Hermes and the gods who are just, like, like, Hermes was, you can argue, a pretty bad parent, but also, like, wanted the best for his child and his intentions were there. It's just different for a god. I really love that there's, like, all these flavors of different parenting styles and you can see it yeah. reflected in the way that their children grow. 
Yeah, and like Hazel's mom, who was like straight up really awful to Hazel, but then yeah. also had that moment at the end where she was like, I'm sorry for what I did, which was yeah. really interesting. Like she wasn't just like a bad mom. She was a person with issues. And she gets into her issues. She was like, the, mm-hmm. the the root of my issues is I've been poor and I knew what it feels like to yeah. not have things. And so when I finally had things and had it taken away from me, it hurt extra and I took it out on you. Oof. And like acknowledging that, even though it doesn't make it all go away, it's like that closure is there. And I think that is reflected in a lot more of like, Hazel seems a lot more mature than the others because she had that closure. She died. So she also has like the whole lifetime thing, but like. It's very interesting, I think. Yeah. Oof. It's so good. Thanks. Shout out to Amanda for that awesome email. Yeah. Thank you so much. That's great. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. All right, let's do Leo's chapters, which I found to be very odd, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Chapters 21 through 24. So chapter 21, the Argo 2 is now racing across the waves, having taken on a lot of damage getting out of Charleston. Um, And it's like not flying anymore. It's in the water as a boat should be. <laughs> the Nyreeds gave Percy coordinates to go to for him to get help from uh, Chiron's brothers, and they're kind of like the party ponies, but Leo punches in the coordinates, and it's in the middle of the Atlantic, which seems like a weird location for the party ponies to be. But they're like, we're going to it. It's the only thing we have. It's the only direction we have. Eventually, things get under control on the ship, and Hedge gives Leo a break from steering so that he can go catch up with the others. Unfortunately, they're stuck on sea now. Festus got really fucked up and can't fly for a bit, so while the others all help Percy and Jason get down to their beds to get some rest because they're all exhausted from that storm, Leo is conveniently stuck with Hazel, so it's time for some of that one-on-one bonding time. Mm -hmm. And Hazel brings up, she's like, Remember how weird I was to you when we went to Narcissus? There's a reason. It's because you remind me of Sammy. And Leo's like, who is Sammy? And so instead of just telling him, she decides to suck him into a memory. She takes his hand and they're transported back in time, which I will not go into too much because, but I was very confused about how she still has her weird flashback powers. Like, Yeah, how could she just do it on whim? Like. I don't know. I don't think we'll ever get an answer for that either. Like, I, don't, later, I don't think so either. <laughs> we can be like, oh, witchcraft. But like just yeah. being able to do it with so much control after having no control up until this point doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's definitely like an underutilized power. If that's mm-hmm. really something she can just do all the time. Change realities. Mm-hmm. Anyways, 
Chapter 22. Hazel shows Leo her old school, and they witness past Hazel being bullied and Sammy coming to the rescue. And Leo even knows, like, the resemblance is uncanny, not just in looks, but in their personalities, because Sammy's kind of like the jokester of the school. Except, as Leo's watching, he's like, except Sammy is, like, very smooth with the ladies. So naturally, Leo is like, this is an opportunity to hate myself. And mm -hmm. it's like, Sammy's the better version of me, actually. And Leo is really confused now and is trying to figure out what in the world this connection with Sammy is because, you know, like the whole time Hazel's just been telling him there's this weird resemblance and he was like, whatever, I just look like some dude he used to know, but it's basically like his clone. And then the scene changes. They're suddenly in Houston, or Leo recognizes it as Houston, Texas, in front of a rundown house where a man stands on the porch gazing at the horizon. The old man says Hazel's name to himself, and then a woman comes out and introduces a baby to the old man. Long story short, Sammy is Leo's great-grandpa, and that baby is Leo, and the woman is his mom. They snap out of the memory then, in time for Hedge yelling about the who's, boat being attacked by monsters. Whose memory is that? How are they just it's able no to go into another memory that is not anything Hazel knows? Is it Leo's memory that they jump into? I think so. I Can think it's Leo's, like distant um uh, childhood memory oh but my god i don't Hazel understand was around in the first section of books just harassing crook with like memories <laughs> of luke being younger at his worst moments until he like crumbles like that's such an incredible power if she has right? that ability and she's like confused she's like i'm not controlling this i don't know how we got there but really underutilized ability yeah. right here just put everyone in their worst memories. And <laughs> <laughs> lock them there for a little while. But I think that she has to experience those memories with them. So that kind of sucks. But yeah, like that that's when you too. become like super apathetic to human feelings. Yeah. And then you just do it. <laughs> You're right. That's the solution. That's the solution. That's the only solution. I had in my notes here. I just think it's so funny because the Leo's great grandpa is like standing there saying like ah Hazel to himself and I was like I'm sorry can you imagine still thinking about the person you had a crush on when you were 10 when you're like an old person 100% as someone who like holds on to my little crushes like a little pet I definitely <laughs> would do that <laughs> oh no <laughs> so then we go into chapter 23 they're being attacked by what Percy deems Shrimpzilla. Mm. The monster looks like the cross between a cockroach and a shrimp, and it's also giant, with the pink slimy face of an enormous catfish, which apparently went undetected by the sonar because Leo forgot to switch from radar to sonar when they went from air to sea. So it's kind of Leo's fault. Another reason, another thing to add to the list for his self-loathing. Oh, they all attack just like with their swords and stuff, but nothing is helping until Leo spots a bit more firepower. Greek fire in a bunch of jars. It's very, very, it's giving me very much like the wildfire in Game of Thrones, which I think was based on the idea Greek of Greek fire. fire. Yeah. Yep. Um, so Frank buys them some time by turning into a shark while Leo and Hazel use the Greek fire against Shrimpzilla, but not before it grabs them. They get the monster, but they also get chucked into the ocean. And when Leo comes to, he's underwater in a cave. He's still able to breathe, though, and he's also with Frank, who's just, like, sitting there awake watching him. Oh, Frank tells Leo that the two of them and Hazel got stuck underwater in all of this, and some fish horse guys came by and took Hazel about an hour ago. Frank is also being kind of a dick to 
Leo. And Leo's like, oh, it's because, like, he last saw me weirdly holding hands with Hazel in a trance before we got attacked. So Leo tells him what happened with Hazel and that they were figuring out how it's he and Sammy were related and that nothing romantic happened between them. And this eases the tension a little between the boys. It's so stupid. They're being so, so dumb. And so they're like, let's try and figure a way out, which results in Leo using his fire powers um, which also doesn't work because they're, like, surrounded by a layer of oxygen and, like, I don't know, chemistry, whatever. I haven't taken chemistry since high school. <laughs> <laughs> and it, like, sucks the oxygen out. But Frank freaks out, which we as readers know is because of the whole firewood situation. Even though it's not, he doesn't carry it anymore, he's just terrified of fire. But Leo thinks that it's just because Frank hates everything Leo does. So Leo tries to get Frank to open up. He tells Frank that his mom actually died in a fire, so he's like, I get it. I get being afraid of fire. Did you also lose someone in a fire? Like, <laughs> let's share a trauma. And Frank brings up that his his uh, house did burn down in a fire, as we read in the last book, but the, there's something else. So Frank starts to bring up the firewood, but then the fish horsemen burst in to talk to Leo and Frank, and they're described as more or less human, with green skin and lobster claws as horns on their head, which is fun. Hmm. But from the waist down, they're a blue-green horse with a fish tail, so they're fish horsemen. The man introduces himself as Bythos, and then sends Leo off to go meet with his brother, Aphros. So chapter 24... We learn from Afros, who's also another fish horse man, but is uh, a different color. I think he's blue instead of green, or green instead of blue. Um, and that these dudes are called Ichthyocentaurs. And they're the half-brothers of Chiron, and they have a whole underwater civilization, which I was like, is this Atlantis? Mm -hmm. And it's full of people. This would have been so important for Chiron to tell Percy at some point. And yeah. helpful for Percy, you know, the son of the sea god, that these people yeah. exist. I don't know. Chiron is just constantly just dropping owls, yeah. Yeah, oh, Chiron. <laughs> but but then there wouldn't be time for Capture the Flag. So. That's true. Good point. <laughs> Do you think they play Capture the Flag underwater? Is that their solution to everything, too? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> water polo? Um, yeah, water polo. <laughs> it is a training camp for mer heroes. Afros asks Leo to tell him his side of the story, so he does, and he starts from the very beginning, like, he's, like, going way back to, like, being a baby and being traumatized by Hera, so it must take a while. After listening, Afros decides that he believes Leo because his story lines up with Hazel's. Hazel then meets up with them, and she's kind of just, like, chilling, she's been having a good time. And while the fish dudes go to fetch Frank, uh, Hazel and Leo take some time to debrief the whole Sammy thing. Leo mentions that he already told Frank about what happened, so, like, you know, he didn't want to cause trouble with Hazel and Frank, and then also mentions that Frank really freaked out at him about the fire, um, and had started to tell him something about firewood, and then Hazel spills the beans, basically, about Frank's stick. Leo gains some empathy for Frank here in his situation, and then Frank and Bythos show up and tell them that they're free to go, but not before imparting some gifts to them. They first want to tell Percy not to worry, that they will send Mer heroes to go take down the evil aquarium in Atlanta. Oh. Afros then gives them brownies, like, okay, mm -hmm. and a letter of introduction to Tiburin, Tiber, Tiburinus, the god of the Tiber River in Rome, <laughs> which he says Annabeth will need in her quest to follow the mark of Athena. So I guess it's like everyone knows that Annabeth is following this mark now, <laughs> like everyone in the world, yeah. all the monsters. 
He then throws a pearl at them, and they begin to rise through the water towards the sun above. That's the end. Um, my overall thoughts was that I thought these chapters were very unnecessary, and, like, the only thing that we really got from it was the, uh, the letter of introduction for, like, the overall plot. Yeah. Because it felt like these chapters felt like they were just, like, a way to resolve the tension between Frank, Leo, and Hazel. Which and was already was unnecessary, yeah. Exactly. I was like, that tension was unnecessary in the first place. Like, the whole plot line with Sammy didn't really need to be there anyway. You, it feels like Rick just wants to, like, create teen romance drama. <laughs> I think he wanted to be like, well, they've been connected from the start. Like, all of this yeah. is meant to but it definitely feels kind of like you would have had this entire story and removed that plot line and it actually would have improved the story quite a bit. Yeah, I, I agree. It feels unnecessary. And I know Rick always likes to do little side quests where they like meet a new mythological creature. Um, so I get that. But it felt more so that the side quest was just to get the three of them to have to work together rather than to meet a new fun myth. But, yeah. you know, that's... Yeah. That's where we are. Those are my my thoughts. I just was like, a lot happens in these, but it's nothing really substantial. But I guess it's funny. Like, Leo's narration is always pretty funny because he just hates himself so much. Oh my god, he does. But it's also frustrating because then he dumps all the information in, like, Annabeth's chapters. Because, like, first of all, this quest is really about her. And then also she's the smartest. And she's obviously everyone's favorite. But, like... Mm -hmm then it's just so heavy in her chapters and you don't get any Mm -hmm. actual emotional time. You just get a lot of her inner dialogue and then her getting information. You don't get like cool interactions or anything like that, which is kind of a bummer. Yeah, they say those for the other chapters. He could have had Mm -hmm. Leo watching Annabeth get some information that isn't important for her like emotional narration like she's just like getting a location or stuff like that but no it has to be from Annabeth's POV yep Mm -hmm. yeah the POVs definitely provide or make some obstacles in the storytelling yeah it's like a hit or miss Mm -hmm. like it's sometimes I'm like wow I really love that we get this and we get to see it from this way and sometimes I'm like that was so unnecessary you could have done this in like more like maximum two povs and the fact that it's four seems a bit unnecessary at times yeah like you could have done this whole thing like annabeth and then piper if you wanted to do like two povs from two different sides of the story right Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah anyway shall we do some lightning bolt questions yes let's so, do it one of my lightning bolt questions was actually about like Annabeth's stepmom, but I feel like we've talked about it quite a bit, so I'm just gonna move on from that. It was just kind of like, do you what yeah. do you think? That was my original question. Ah. <laughs> so my my question is, where is one place you want to travel with specifically like a little bit of a larger group of friends and why? Mm. Ooh. Because there's, like, where Um, you want to travel with your partner, where you want to just travel mm -hmm. in general. But when you have a group of friends, I feel like you have to think about it a little bit. Yeah. I I would love to go, like, if I'm thinking big, honestly, I would love to go to Greece Mm -hmm. and have, like, a whole Mamma Mia moment, like, with all my friends. (laughs) That'd be so This is also, I watched Mamma Mia, like, a few nights ago because I was sick and it's my, uh, 
That's my comfort movie with it's Chiron a good in it. Movie. Pierce Brosnan. <laughs> he sings not super well, quite poorly. To be honest, in fact, yeah. <laughs> but I would love to just like go to like an island in Greece and just have the whole island be like all my friends, <laughs> and like there could be a wedding there. I don't care. Something going on, some kind of event. It doesn't even have to be that. We can just go to go. Yeah. Yeah, I'm oh. including myself in this group of friends. Yeah, you, you're invited. Yeah. Don't worry. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. You're welcome. Um, yeah, that's a good one. I was thinking like Disneyland would be really fun. Oh, that would that was my other thought. Yeah. As like, you know, not going as big. <laughs> yeah, I think small, like locally would be Disneyland. Um mm-hmm. I do love cabin trips and stuff. That would also be locally just to go stay at a cabin near one of our mountains and for during the summer i think that was always really fun but going big i think going to um going to like australia would be really cool just because there's so many outdoor activities that i want to do and i think that different people would have interests in it's easy to like split it up and also do things together when those situations, because like some people want to do indoor stuff, some people want to do outdoor stuff, some people, you know, are really into zoos and animals, and some people are really into like historical stuff. So you can just separate everybody and then also have everybody come together too, and it makes it much easier. I like that. Yeah. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> let's go. Let's, yeah. Book a let's ticket. Let's go. Oh, maybe we can start with Disneyland. Start I know. small. Yeah. That's actually pretty big right there, actually. It is. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Especially, yeah. I feel like I'm kind of a crazy Disney. When I'm in Disney, I kind of become a crazy person. <laughs> it's not just me. It's like me and Mike together are like really crazy in Disney about trying to do everything. I think by myself, I'm a little more chill. <laughs> he enables you a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, um, the one that I came up with, uh, <laughs> because we're talking about mermaids, and I know a lot of people think that mermaids are hot. So my question is, are mer people hot? And then also, going off of that, like, if they're not hot, or if they're not the hottest, which mythological creature, like, is the hottest? You know, the basic ones, like the the dwarves, elves, vampires, werewolves, trolls, type of things. <laughs> it's obviously trolls, right? <laughs> <laughs> you got me. Oh. That's a good one because I feel like it's very, very revealing on like, mm-hmm. oh, what is your tolerance of your attraction to humans? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, how much can you like be flexible with not being human? I think more people, I think cartoon more people are hot because you don't have the mm. whole like this, the, the, the fishy part of it. But the reality is like you were just attractive to the upper part like the upper half of men and women and then Mm -hmm. you have this like tail which is like logistically thinking about oh god it's like touching me no thank you yeah and if it's flipped and you have like a fish head that's like a different (laughs) kind of monster and i'm like i'm obsessed with reverse mermaids (laughs) reverse mermaid god this is my husband the reverse mermaid (laughs) it's just a fish head some really beefy legs from swimming. <laughs> He's actually a really bad swimmer because human legs aren't great <laughs> for sw- cutting through water. Um, <laughs> I think that, like, but the reality, reality, I mean, 
if we're thinking <laughs> about it, like, it's not just like you take two halves and stick them together like in Disney. They probably have, like, partly scaly bodies yeah. and mm-hmm. gills somewhere that I don't want to think about. So I, okay. um, I would think, like, vampires and elves are definitely the oh. hotter creatures. Vampires for okay. the goth people and elves for, like, the mm. more cottagecore folks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I personally don't find mer people hot because I don't think I could get over the fish smell. Mm-hmm. It's not my I'm not into it. You know, I'm not, people. I'm not into shape of shape of water didn't do it for me. I actually didn't see that movie, yeah. but <laughs> Mer people everywhere are so disappointed. They're like, We thought yeah. we had a chance with Aaron. Our mer people listeners are just <laughs> like heartbroken right now. Um I think elves are the hottest mythological creature with the sample size being Orlando Bloom as Legolas. I think it's mostly that you just love Orlando Bloom. Yeah. Well yeah. the other elves are nice looking. Lord of the Rings elves. We're not talking Santa elves. No, please god those are children. As much as I love um uh, Hermes the dentist elf from Rudolph or not. Yeah, that's Rudolph. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking, like, Will Ferrell. He's a human, but, like, his elves who are, like, you know, come up to your ankles. Oh, God. Yeah, not that elf. I'm no. talking, like, the um, high fantasy elves with their long hair and their... Well, I'm not into vampires, though. I used to be into Edward, though. Oh, I but he's not Edward. really... I was a Team Edward girl. Yeah, but he's not really... I was a Team Jacob, but I would not say... I don't... Mm. I can't say werewolf because that's <laughs> this like I'm not going to fall into the trap. You're not Roman. I'm not Roman. That's what it is. <laughs> oh my god, Romans would be all over werewolves. Like, are you oh, kidding they would. me? I mean, they consider themselves to be werewolves because the first sons of Rome. Yeah, are, you know. And I mean, without being able to turn into wolves, just like really like. I'm like a sad version of a werewolf where I can't turn into a wolf, but I'm a werewolf, you know, kind of thing. (laughs) So a man. (laughs) A man who thinks they're a wolf. (laughs) Bottom of the totem pole. (laughs) They're half wolf. They're wolf on the top. Wolf head. (laughs) One wolf leg. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the... um, what like Kelly them Pusa were? Oh yeah, and just, like, like they're like half animal donkey, donkey legs, yeah, <laughs> metal legs, yeah, incredibly attractive. <laughs> anyway, so as you move on, we're gonna get some Percy and Piper time with chapters twenty-five through thirty-two next episode. Mm-hmm. No idea what happens, to be honest. Absolutely I just no know idea. It's Percy and Piper, <laughs> no clue. If you are interested in supporting us, you can find us on Patreon. Uh, The link will be in the episode description, as well as the link to send us an audio message if you have any lightning bolt questions or you want to sing us a song. (laughs) What are you opening up now? (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) Um, You can follow us on social media at CampHathPod or email us CampHathPod at gmail.com. And don't forget to rate and review wherever you listen to us. Bye-bye.